SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, and welcome to NITV Radio. Coming up in your program, Living Black, Australia's longest-running Indigenous Current Affairs program, returned to the airwaves on April 17 for the 30th season. The episode of uh, that day also celebrated the program's 20th anniversary. This series was dedicated to the most important issue of the day for First Nations people, the referendum on voice to parliament to be held later this year. On NITV Radio today, we bring you views shared by an old person on Voice to Parliament in that special edition of Living Black. Also in the program today, we have a selection of stories shared by NITV. In one of these stories, we'll hear about a man who was used in a promotional no campaign to Voice to Parliament in a deceptive way. We also have a story from SBS's newsroom about two animal lovers in Sydney who have set up a mobile care unit that exclusively treats wildlife. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news on NITV Radio. And this Friday afternoon, we are broadcasting from Nam on the Kulin Nation. Bertrand Tungandami Ngaya. I am Bertrand Tungandami. Australia Day 1972 saw the first The opposition leader criticizes sports teams for supporting the voice. World leaders arrive in Japan for the G7 summit. And in AFL, North Melbourne's president voices her support for Alastair Clarkson following his departure from the club. Opposition leader Peter Dutton has criticised sports teams and organisations for supporting the Voice to Parliament referendum. The AFL, NRL and Rugby Australia have all publicly thrown their support behind the Indigenous Advisory Body along with multiple individual sports teams. But Mr Dutton says people don't need the CEO of a sporting organisation to make up their mind about how to vote in the upcoming referendum. I actually... Uh think we've got to have an honest conversation here. I, I think it's counterproductive for the sporting codes to be out there advocating a position because most of their fans are really scratching their head as to why the elites within the sport, particularly the elites involved in the administration of the game, are taking a position in relation to the voice when uh, those who are watching a footy match are happy to hear the arguments for and against and have the detail and understand what it is that they're being asked to vote for. 
Leaders from the United States, Germany, France, Italy, the United Kingdom and Canada are arriving in Japan for the G7 summit. Although not part of the G7, Prime Minister Antonio Albanese is also attending as an outreach partner to the summit. Mr. Albanese will meet with leaders from the US, Japan and India on the sidelines of the Quad Gathering scheduled for next week in Sydney after the Quad Gathering scheduled for next week in Sydney was cancelled. Deputy Prime Minister Richard Miles told Nine the Prime Minister did not take the cancellation personally. It's unfortunate, but it happens, and it's nothing more than that. Uh, and uh, the Prime Minister will be able to catch up with President Biden, as of course he's done on numerous occasions, and we'll be able to meet him in Japan, and I'm, I know he's looking forward to that. There was speculation Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky might also travel to Japan for the summit, but the Japanese government says Mr Zelensky will attend through a video link. Unscrupulous boarding house operators have been accused of human trafficking of national disability insurance scheme participants. NDIS Minister Bill Shorten has released a report revealing some accommodation providers in Victoria are exploiting participants in their homes by shutting them off from contact with other carers. Mr. Shorten says a whole new ruthless business model has emerged with boarding homes setting themselves up as NDIS service providers. Then what they do is they get a participant who has a package, it could be on average between $103,000 and $196,000 a year, in some cases possibly more. What they do is they bribe these people to cut off all ties with anyone else in the community. They then put them in unsafe conditions, poor food, poor privacy, poor safety, poor care, and then they systematically loot these people's accounts. Mr Shorten says he's determined to run unethical operators out of the system. An Australian doctor who ran a medical clinic in West Africa and held captive by a terrorist group for more than seven years has been released. 88-year-old Kenneth Elliott from Perth is safe and well and has been reunited with his wife Jocelyn and their children. Dr. Elliott's family has expressed relief and thanked all those who have been involved over time to secure his release. Foreign Affairs Minister Penny Wong says the Australian government has been working for years to secure the release. Well, obviously, we have been engaging for many years, but particularly recently uh, with other governments uh, to secure his release. Uh, I'm afraid I'm not in a position, uh, given uh, the circumstances, to comment in detail, but I can say uh, that a lot of work has been put in by Australian officials and the important thing is that Dr. Elliot is finally home with his family. The United States and Papua New Guinea are set to sign security pacts on defence, cooperation and maritime surveillance. The signing is a, is a significant step in establishing US influence in the Pacific and follows China signing a security pact with the Solomon Islands last year. United States President Joe Biden is sending his Secretary of State Anthony Blinken to Papua New Guinea to meet the island, the island's nation, the island nation's leaders and other Pacific nation leaders. It comes after the president was forced to cancel his historic trip to Papua New Guinea to deal with a domestic crisis over debt ceiling negotiations. Secretary Blinken will meet Papua New Guinea's Prime Minister James Marape and sign the security pacts.
The United Nations Security Council has convened for an open briefing requested, requested by Russia to discuss the issue of Western weapons supplies to Ukraine. Russian officials say as Ukraine receives sophisticated weapon systems from its Western allies, the Kremlin has started losing war plans in areas previously deemed as safe. Representative of Russia to the United Nations, Vasily Nebenzia, has criticized the West. Western countries stubbornly insist that they are not parties to the conflict, but are only helping Ukraine protect itself. However, the reality is exactly the opposite. The West is waging a proxy war with Russia and Ukraine. Since the last meeting of the Council in February, their flow has not only not decreased, but is also increasing. It's obvious that they are not interested in any peaceful settlement of the conflict. Ghanaian officials say the $3 billion IMF bailout approved for the West African nation will help reset the economy and ease the hardship on its citizens. The West African Regional Economic Hub has been reeling from an economic crisis as a result of soaring inflation, a weakened currency and rising public debt. The bailout will be given over three years and will help the economic toll on Ghanaians who have protested the spiraling increase in prices of goods. Ghanaian Finance Minister Kenny Oforiata says the bailout has been long awaited. Uh, Ghana's armor board approval is far from a magic solution wand. Uh, what it is, however, is a crucial first step on the necessary journey of strong reforms, inclusive growth, and relentless pursuit of a growth agenda geared towards restoring our economy to a place of strength, prosperity, and resilience. Thousands of people have marched in Argentina demanding more government handouts, salaries, jobs, and an end to the government's economic adjustment measures. For the first time, local community groups sympathetic to the government joined with leftist groups to protest in Buenos Aires. The majority of the demonstrators belong to organizations which receive monthly government handouts of about $160, but protesters note it's not even half the minimum salary. Protestor Ricardo Acuña says the government has failed the public. Salaries and social plans are less and less sufficient. Jobs are scarce and soup kitchens are filled with the additional problems that they can't attend to everyone because there is a lack of food due to the government's failure. Inflation has been a problem across the world, but Argentina is second in a World Bank ranking of countries with the highest food inflation. And back home and in sport, North Melbourne President Sonia Hood says the club would have appointed Alastair Clarkson as coach even if they knew about the racism allegations at Hawthorne. But Hood has criticised the previous Hawks hierarchy for not giving her a courtesy phone call about the allegations before an ABC report made them public in September. Clarkson, who denies any wrongdoing, has now stepped away from the job indefinitely as he continues to deal with the fallout from the ongoing saga. 
and now having a look at the weather around the country Broome sunny 30 degrees Perth sunny 26 Adelaide showers 17 Melbourne light showers 15 Hobart possible early shower 12 Albury Wodonga sunny 13 Canberra similar conditions 14 Wollongong sunny 19 Sydney much the same 19 Newcastle mostly sunny 20 Brisbane mostly sunny 22 Townsville sunny 26 Cairns sunny 28 Alice Springs mostly cloudy 14 Darwin sunny 31 and the Torres Strait Islands a sunny day ahead and a top of 29 degrees and that is NITV Radio News NITV Radio Monday Wednesday Friday at 1 p.m. or anytime online I'm Bertrand Tungandame and you're listening to NITV Radio broadcasting from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Friday afternoon. Coming up next, appearing in a recent episode of Living Black, Noel Pearson shares his views on Indigenous voice to parliament. And in one of the stories shared by NITV, we'll hear the story of a man who was used in a promotional no campaign to voice to parliament in a deceptive way. And from SBS's newsroom, did you know that uh, the vast majority of Australia's vets treat exclusively the domestic animals? Well, now two animal lovers have set up a mobile service to treat wildlife. But first, let's explore the biggest issue of the day for First Nations people: the referendum on voice to be held later this year. Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio. Living Black returned to the airwaves celebrating its 20th anniversary and also its 30th season. For this special episode celebrating the milestone, Living Black founder and presenter Carla Grant dedicated the program to discussing the biggest issue of the day for First Nations people, the referendum on voice to be held later this year. To explore the topic, she brought together key figures including Noel Pearson who has spent decades working on constitutional recognition, also the former minister for Indigenous Australians Ken Wyatt, along with two independent politicians, Senators Lydia Thorpe and uh, Jackie Lambie, Karen Mandin, the CEO of Reconciliation Australia, Torres Strait Islander actor Aaron Faso, and uh, Dean Withers, who is a former rugby league player. The special program kicked off with a question to Noel Pearson. Well, firstly, as a member of the First Nations Referendum Working Group, along with Ken Wyatt, who's here with us today, you are both heavily involved in the proposal to amend the constitution with a, a view to achieving a successful outcome. Reflecting on how difficult it is to change the constitution, you need a double majority that is at least four states and the majority of voters. Do you think the yes campaign is set for success? I certainly think we are. This is a momentous year for our people and it's a momentous year for the country. I think we're heading towards a yes result in the referendum. I think we should feel confident about that. And Carla, I'm really hopeful about it. I'm confident that we're going to have a positive result. 
The proposal for a voice treaty truth was devised at Uluru and presented to the people, not the politicians, almost six years ago. Why does it deserve to win? Because before we gathered at Uluru, we met at 13 different locations around the country, from Perth to Thursday Island, from Melbourne to Darwin, from Central Australia down to Hobart. I believe, Carla, that Uluru in May 2017 was probably the greatest single coming together of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people expressing a collective self-determination. I think the ultimate test of a rigorous process of self-determination is that there was dissent as well. You know, it wasn't contrived. There was dissent at the dialogues. There was dissent at Uluru. But I can tell you the dissent was very, very small. This was a representation from all corners of Indigenous Australia and it was a majority expression that we wanted, of all of the options, we wanted a voice to the parliament and to the executive government. That was an act of collective self-determination, the like of which the country never before witnessed. But Noel, why does it deserve to win? Because the recognition of Indigenous people has never happened. This is our country. It has been our country for 65,000 years. And this country, called Australia, doesn't recognise the original peoples, the first peoples of Australia. Nothing coherent can ever happen in terms of our rightful place in this country without recognition. This is where the symbolic and the practical the, are actually the one and the same thing. You, you, you actually can't do the practical stuff without addressing the symbolic. And you can't do the symbolic stuff without doing the practical. This is really where those two concepts come together. And the first act we have to do is recognise that this country has a history preceding European colonisation, preceding 1788, and uh, it's the foundation of reconciliation. And I think, I think Australia is ready for it. Well, Lydia Thorpe, you've heard what Noel Pearson has just said. Your statements thus far have been critical of The Voice. Can you confirm here today on national television which camp you are in? Yes or no to The Voice? Mm. Well, I think that's the problem with the whole uh, debate is that you're either in this camp or that camp and that's what is hurting our people out there. It's dividing our people. And I actually challenge Pearson in terms of the rigorous uh, consultations. There were many, many people that weren't invited to those dialogues. Um, Most of those people were grassroots um, people in communities who never got an invitation. It was invite only. Uh, And to have a meeting in in the middle of the country certainly is not about self-determination because there were so many people who couldn't get there. And the fact that Pearson talks about self-determination, to think that reconciliation is giving us a voice with no power is an absolute insult to every blackfella in this country. But do you support a voice? 
enshrined in the Constitution? I support a treaty. And I think that to, uh, for us to go into the colonial construct, which is their law, over the oldest law on the planet, I think we need to have a serious conversation about whose sovereignty we're, we're uh, living under and by in this country. And only a treaty will do that. To go into the, um, the genocidalist constitution that's only hurt us, only hurt us, is um, the cart before the horse. And we need to talk about settlement in this country and clans and nations need to self-determine for themselves rather than have government handpick the people who say that they make decisions for us. We've got to stop this handpick um, arrangement that government continue to use and let the people on the ground have the power to say what they want to say. And we're not seeing that in this debate. Uh, there is a progressive no that no one wants to talk about, not even the referendum groups themselves will meet with the black sovereign mob. So you've got to ask yourself, you know, how real is this conversation? Mm. Well, you left the Greens party in order to represent the black sovereignty movement. How large is this constituency and what are they calling for and how do they want you to represent them? The movement's massive, massive. If you look at the rallies around the country, then bring that number together as well as allies. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people uh, who on Invasion Day talked about treaty before voice uh, and there were rallies who talked about sovereignty before voice. We should have a political voice in this country, not a powerless advisory body that the parliament can decide to take advice from or not. We need seats in parliament we have an opportunity to have a real voice in this country. We could have Senate seats that belong to our people rather than an advisory with no power. Well, I'd rather black senators with black votes to change this system once and for all than a parliament that continues to ignore, ignore a powerless voice. Jackie Lambie, a year ago you told Living Black you wanted to see dedicated seats in Parliament for Indigenous people in addition to constitutional recognition. Is this a deal breaker for you? Um, not necessarily, but um, I want to see dedicated Indigenous seats in Parliament. We have hundreds of groups out there apparently representing us, and yet we've had more suicides year after year after year because one of us was not inside the pie. One of us was not inside the pie. Your power has to be in that chamber. It has to be in that chamber. And my God, you better pray that you have that balance of power in that because that is how you make change. That is an effective way to make change. So um, for me, I still stand, stand by that. Well, Ken Wyatt, while you were the Minister for Indigenous Australians, you called for a voice to be legislated. Community consultations were extensive, re reported by Professors Calmer and Langton. Funding was set aside. It was on track to be passed into law. Back then, was the LNP united in its support for a voice? No, it wasn't. Uh, and I say this on the basis of a charter letter that all ministers receive from their leader. My charter letter had in it that I was to deliver on constitutional recognition, a voice to parliament and truth-telling. Now, there are individuals who were opposed to that. But we were on track. We had budget set aside. I did an analysis of 
18 months' worth of legislation that was taken to the Coalition Party Room. Consultation occurred on every bill with external groups prior to it being approved by the Party Room for tabling in the uh, Parliament. So we've had something like five reports on this issue and yet the silence is deafening in terms of giving recognition to Indigenous Australians in the Constitution. Why is it so hard or why is it that your former LNP colleagues find it so hard to back the voice now? That I don't comprehend. It lacks logic. Uh, And let me say I was disappointed with the National Party because I know they consult extensively with every agricultural organisation that exists in this nation but don't give the same level of consultation with our people. And that opposition can't be comprehended in this day and age. The arguments of legal impact uh, I don't agree with. Nobody thought Eddie Marbo would destroy Terra Nullis, but he did. And there are other opportunities that have prevailed where our people have accessed the levels of courts in this country, and that's critical. So we should never take that away. And to lay this as being an extra layer through the voice... I think is very mischievous. Without bipartisan support, there is a chance the referendum could fail. How would you feel knowing your former colleagues played a part in the downfall of something you feel so strongly about? I'd be disappointed because we've been here right from the beginning. It would make common sense to have our rightful place in a number of levels and tiers of all government, not just the federal government, state, territories and local government, because all of them make decisions that impact on the lives of our communities at the local level. Well, Jackie, at the height of the problems in Alice Springs, you were sceptical of The Voice, as it was understood then, saying it would not make any difference to improve lives. What is your position now? Where it started in Tasmania is the word recognition, nothing about a voice. It was all about recognition, recognition. Now it's changed. Now we want the voice and we're trying to sell that over a very short period of time. It took them 12 years to sell the recognition thing and for us to all start coming on board with that saying, okay, we want to be recognised in the constitution. So now we change the wording of that and that's getting very confusing. You'll also find one of the biggest problems going on in Tasmania right now, there is one lot of mob that is given all the money. All right, we have a massive problem down there in Tasmania. So you're right now, any mob in Tasmania does not want the voice because the thing that could be sorted, even without the voice, could be sorted by ministers. That could be done today. We're giving all the power and all the money and these, this mob decides who's Indigenous and who's not and who gives the money and bugger the rest of us. So who's not listening to us? And I don't know how many ministers I have been through in the nine or ten years I've been in Parliament said, here's your problem, fix it, you can fix it with a pen. You know, it's all very nice. It's all very lovely to have words out there. But you know what? I'm not a girl of words. I'm a girl of action. And some of these actions could be signed off and fixed tomorrow with a pen. And these could fix communities out there right across Australia. And we are not doing that. And that is really sad. Are you going to vote yes or no? My decision will not be made until a day or two beforehand. I will vote with the majority of Tasmanians where they want to go and that's where I'll be going. I'm a senator for Tasmania and so wherever the majority is, that's who I'll vote for, that's who I represent. 
Now, Noel Pearson, assuming the result is yes, the parliament will then legislate the voice, why should our people trust politicians to draft the terms of the representative body to a standard that would satisfy our needs? Well, that is the way in which legislation comes into existence. We rely on the parliament to do it and uh, the constitutional amendment will give the power to the parliament to determine the details. Of course we want the parliament to do that in partnership with our people. And uh, that was a debate on uh, Indigenous Voice to Parliament, a debate that was uh, hosted by uh, Living Black's uh, Carla Grant in a special episode of Living Black that aired on uh, April 17, which also was an episode uh, celebrating a very important milestone, the 20th anniversary of Living Black as the longest-running First Nations current affairs program. We'll continue the debate about our voice to Parliament next week. And just a reminder, Living Black airs at 8.30pm on NITV. If you missed any episodes, you can catch all of them on SBS On Demand. Join NITV Radio on Facebook. Welcome back. Now, an Aboriginal man who is used in a promotional campaign against the Voice to Parliament says he didn't even know what the voice was and that he was reading a script that was written for him. The video was then shared on social media by anti-voice proponents Warren Mandin and Senator Jacinta Price. The man says he also felt humiliated by feeling falsely identified as the grandson of legendary rights campaigner Vincent Lingieri. Emma Kellaway reports. In March, the halls of parliament were filled with around 20 community representatives from across the Northern Territory. They stood side by side as Senator Jacinta Price spruced her support for a no vote. But no, not all Aboriginal people support the voice. Stuart Lingiari was among them. He says he was there to talk about issues in his community. Weeks later, his picture appeared on the No Campaign website next to a quote he says he was told to say. We went to Canberra for a different reason. We didn't go there for the voice. I was asking us, what did you think about the voice? And, you know, first time I heard about the voice was in Canberra. The image and quote are still on the website. In April, Minister for Indigenous Australians Linda Burney tweeted of community support for a yes vote. Sharing the quote, Senator Price replied, Vincent Lingiari's grandson thinks otherwise. Warren Mundine shared the same ad with the message, Vincent Lingiari's grandson is voting no. Stuart Lingiari says he is not related to the prominent land rights leader and that claims that he is have caused distress in the community. Linda Burney says it's a blow to the credibility of the no side. Uh, it appears that this man was uh, flown to Canberra under false pretenses. The question to be asked is how low can the no campaign go? Speaking to NITV Digital, the leader of Fair Australia, which is behind the no campaign, has defended the ad and says it's a matter of misunderstanding. I spent two days with Mr Lingiari. He was introduced to me as the grandson of Vincent Lingiari and claimed that himself. He didn't support the voice. That's why he was there. 
Another attendee has come forward to confirm they were presented with written quotes to read and that the group had been surprised that constitutional recognition came up during their visit. Senator Price has been contacted for comment. Emma Kellaway, NITV News. Leading fashion designer Danny Francisco has added another accolade to her already impressive portfolio, becoming the first Indigenous designer to have a standalone runway parade at Australian Fashion Week. She says, while it's an honor, there are plenty of other talented First Nations fashion creatives who are deserving of their own works. Ricky Kirby has the story. Wiradjuri designer Denny Francisco is no stranger to honours and accolades. Now, hers is the first Indigenous label to be granted a standalone show in the 23-year history of Australian Fashion Week. Well, it's about time, right? <laughs> the colours just happen to be the first, but there's so many other people that could have been the first as well. So we're very grateful for that. Uh, but I think we're just this is just the start, and I think we're just going to see so much more of that because there's so many out, um, of our mob that are just so incredibly talented who could do what we did today. And so I can't wait for that. I think that will be amazing. The show featured 30 looks from the Murray Yang collection, which celebrates country as it can be seen from the sky, picking up the elements of land and water. It comes after a push in recent years for more First Nations visibility on the runway. I think this is the time where so much more is, um, so much light's being shone on the creativity and particularly in the fashion area. Creativity happens in diversity. So uh, the more diverse we can be, uh, again, the more comes to the surface and um, great things happen. Australian Fashion Week is on in Sydney until Friday. Ricky Kirby, NITV News. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Now, Australia is home to hundreds of thousands of uh, wild animal species, but the nation's veterinarians are mostly trained to care for domesticated creatures. So, two animal lovers in Sydney have set up a mobile care unit that exclusively treats wildlife. Deborah Grog reports. Possums normally live in woodlands and along tree-lined rivers and creeks. But for two little possums, their current home is the Sydney Metropolitan Wildlife Services Mobile Care Unit. Zoological medicine specialist Isadora Sladakovich says the unit is part of a charity set up in 1997 to care for Australia's native animal species. If someone finds an animal that's injured, they can take it to a vet clinic and it can get that basic care. Um, but it, uh, it can be very difficult because these vet clinics are, you know, they're not set up to see wildlife. They are usually set up to see dogs and cats and, um, you know, people's pets. And so if they do do it, when they do do it, it is, again, on a volunteer basis. So they are taking time out of their day to look after these animals. Since January 2000, the charity has operated from a specially converted van. It took years of fundraising to turn what was an ordinary motorhome into a state-of-the-art mobile clinic. The van is kitted out with an X-ray machine, blood testing equipment, microscope and ultrasound, amongst other tech. 
Lily Gregg is the co-founder of the mobile care unit. She says the idea came from the country's devastating wildfires in 2019 and 2020, which according to the World Wildlife Fund killed nearly 3 billion wild animals. Aside from just day-to-day wildlife rescue, uh, we also wanted to have something that was in place if there was any kind of um, like a a natural disaster such as bushfires, floods, um, cyclones, heat stress events, anything like that. What do we have in place that you can get really close to the action? Thankfully, natural disasters don't happen every day. So the van is used as a regular clinic with regular operating hours most of the time. There are eight vets who regularly volunteer here, with a ninth considering joining up as well. Once they get involved, Lindley Gregg says it becomes a bit of an obsession. We've got a little group chat with the vets, and that's on all the time. 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday, um, we'll get a, a message from one of the vets. Oh, what do you guys think? You know you know that little possum that came in? Everyone's like, which one? Uh, Rocky. You know, Rocky came in, he had this collarboma in his eye. What, what do you think? What should we do about him? And the chat starts, and it goes till 11, 11, 30 on a Saturday night. This is what we're doing. This is what the vets who are volunteering their time are actually doing. They're not, they're not having dinner with their friends. They're actually worrying about their patients. <laughs> Isadora Sladakovic says the mobile care unit is the only one in existence in the greater Sydney area where thousands of animals need care every year. Data from June 2022, published by the New South Wales Department of Planning and Environment, indicates an average of 90,000 protected wild animals get injured, sick or orphaned each year in the state. I deal with people's pets during the day, um, but there's no one really to look after wildlife. We don't really have the funds to, you know, for these animals to receive veterinary care and really the only way that they can receive veterinary care is through volunteers that work in this in this band. Sladakovic says there's a common trend when it comes to the reasons for the animals' injuries. Humans. We definitely see a lot of animals that are injured as a result of human activity. So whether that's directly, you know, animals being hit by cars, um, being attacked by dogs or cats. Uh, fishing line uh, and fish hook ingestion, entanglement. Uh, So those are the things that we see a lot. There are hundreds of thousands of animal species in Australia, so the vets never quite know what they will be treating on any given day. Greg says they are not always the most cooperative patients. We've had a brush-tailed possum boing out and run across all, you know, run across the... (laughs) the table and and whatnot so yeah luckily all our stuff is bolted down (laughs) Um, we've had big 90 kilogram kangaroos which is always fun to get through the door the van sets up camp all around sydney on regular spots and days with up to 10 wildlife animals that can be seen per day by appointment an all-terrain vehicle will soon accompany the mobile care unit to reach injured animals in locations the van can't access. And there are dreams of a dedicated paediatric van for the care of baby animals. Beyond the immediate treatment they give to animals, the volunteer vets only wish for one thing. The things that are most memorable to me are animals that I've treated and the carers that are looking after them sending me a video of that animal being released back into the wild. Uh, That's probably the thing that kind of brings a tear to my eye and kind of makes it, kind of makes it worthwhile. Deborah Grook, 
SBS News. Visit sbs.com.au/nitvradio. And uh, this brings us to the end of uh, today's program. Thank you for staying with us this uh, Friday afternoon. Also wishing you a beautiful afternoon and a safe weekend. Till next time, bye for now. Yalu.